0: Hello, and welcome to the Homeland Podcast. Step out to find out it's wet and warm, wet and warm. Tra la la, 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 tra la
1: la, tra la la, tra la la. -la -la. Their togetherness was what was helping them survive that situation.
0: While I was visiting Austin recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Natasha Ponsick Shoemake. Natasha works for Austin Public Health, where she helps oversee the various human service contracts that the city uses to partner with various non-governmental agencies in addressing homelessness in their community. With this unique perspective, Natasha is able to see at the 10,000 foot level, the whole ecology of human services in Austin. Taking a break from her work, Natasha was kind enough to provide a primer on social service provision, what the challenges are, and the number one need that Austin has to keep its homeless crisis in check. What is the snapshot of the homeless crisis here in Austin? Mm -hmm. Has it been growing? Has it been shrinking? What's it look like uh, today?
1: Well, um, we are seeing about... Two thousand people counted on the night of the point-in-time count, mm-hmm. um, which is the annual count um, done, you know, as a part of our continuum of care funding that we get from HUD, and that uh, that is the amount that we had last year. But it's been it's it's gone up slightly this year, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't have the final numbers on it at this time, and that is about. Uh, Half or 800 people in shelter in St. Haven's, and then 800 people outdoors, 300 in um, transitional housing, roughly.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: So uh, it's it's kind of gone. It's been pretty steady around 2,000. It's it's dipped and gone over into the 21, 22s in the past um, like seven, eight years. Okay. But that's pretty much where we're at right now.
0: (laughs) And so, what does Austin public health's role in this conversation? How does how does the work of public health intersects with home, homelessness?
1: Well, um, Austin Public Health has always had a role on some levels um, for at least the past 20 years where we have uh, provided social service dollars for homeless services. And it's um, the range from uh, shelter to transitional housing, and then you know, in the past, however many years, permanent supportive housing, and uh, a lot of other services, though the first social services that we fund, with, related to childcare and employment programs and other things that aren't necessarily focused on the homeless, but they impact them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're we're really the social service part of the city, and we uh, we have many, many uh, community partners that we contract with.
0: Right. Okay. Um, And you mentioned a term when you were introducing yourself around continuum of care, Mm -hmm. I I know that that's a very well-known term within the social Mm -hmm. service meeting, but for people who aren't a part of that community, what does that mean and what what does that rubric uh, address?
1: Well, um, it's just a funding source, <laughs> but it it, act, it means more than that, you know. Um, it's it's really a way that HUD has uh, structured its investments in homeless services for uh, uh, housing housing the homeless. Um, and over the years, it's really more focused on providing the the housing part of that equation for rental assistance and that kind of thing. It, it, it's a funding source that um, the community gets, and our Ending Community Homelessness Coalition is kind of the coordinator of all of that. We uh, support um, the Ending Community Homelessness Coalition, or ECHO, with funding to be able to do that process. We don't actually receive those continuing care dollars ourselves. Um, but the city contributes general fund and a federal emergency solutions grant money from HUD, as well as some state Housing um, and homeless money that yeah. we get, so it's just it's a piece of the the whole pie.
0: Right. So the the goal is to end homelessness. Is there a, a target deadline for that?
1: Well, there has been. Um, yeah. I can't speak exactly to how um, you know the the most recent Echo plan is on that goal specifically. I know that you know we started this um, many years ago in the community working on the Ending Chronic Homeless Plan, Mm -mm, mm -mm. and um, that's kind of where the ECHO acronym (laughs) started. (laughs) And then it changed to ECHO Community, or Ending Community Homelessness, and over the years we focused on different subpopulations, you know, we've recently focused on veterans homelessness and kind of gotten to what is called a functional zero Mm -hmm. for that so that there's there's basically a process in place for every new um, veteran that becomes homeless to find housing and, and connect them with services, and then also with uh, we're working on youth now, and okay. there's a demonstration grant, and that those efforts have been primarily through our, our Ending Community Homelessness Coalition. Okay. Um, but the like I said, the city fo- funds a lot of the pieces that go into those initiatives by um, funding the different agencies that are providing the services or the housing or or whatever is part of that.
0: So is that prioritization of whether it's veterans or whether it's youth, is that kind of a political decision? Is it a policy decision? And and who gets to make that decision?
1: Well, it's kind of... um it's a community decision okay. um, that comes up usually uh, related to a HUD priority okay. or a funding source. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I know when the chronic homeless was was a focus a long time ago, uh, I guess it's now over 10 years ago. My colleague told me recently <laughs> when yeah. I said, oh, it wasn't that long ago. She was like, no, it was actually 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, but the that focus was... Um, a kind of an unfunded focus from HUT. Okay. And so now we've, you know, we moved into different realms, but really kind of coordinating all of the different services in the community will help, you know, give us the the groundwork for focusing on whatever subpopulation is kind of the the new funding source is Mm -hmm. Mm attached to or is the new priority from HOD or whatever. So
0: this may be a sensitive question, but (laughs) so forgive me as, as you move from one priority to another priority, do you see some, some drift from that previous priority or do you feel like that, that program is well enough established that it then kind of lives on and, and is solidified?
1: Well, I think for veterans it is, um, the, the systems are in place and you know and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot there was some funding associated with that and I'm not sure that it's still as robust as it was before um, but you know I think it's it's hard to say because the world of of who's out there in the homeless community kind of changes over the years mm-hmm. and so um, what is a uh, what is a focus for um, for a period of time You know, there might be a lot of things that come out of the generation of ideas and bringing together stakeholders and stuff like that where there's just a lot of new energy and programs and funding focused there. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of times we really fight to make sure that that funding stays there. So when you're talking about permanent supportive housing for chronic homeless, I always emphasize that it's permanent supportive housing. You can't just... Provide funding for a couple of years <laughs> and right, not right. continue to. So, you know, as a city, we've we've made sure that we kind of put that that funding aside and try to continue it. Try to lockbox that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So talk me through the process. For people who are outside of the system who don't understand how the government works with nonprofits to deliver services to someone who's maybe living on the streets or for whatever situation has found themselves in a shelter. How does that interaction work and how is service provided to the end user?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think, you know, we've ever gotten to, we've gotten to a point yet where every homeless person who finds themselves homeless one day knows exactly what number to call or Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. door to step in. And so, you know, you find homeless people all through the community and every single part of the community, whether it's, Um, The the higher income areas or or the lower income areas, and so I I don't I'm not sure how people you know maneuver that. I I I think it must be very difficult you know um, to you know come out and be evicted and not have anywhere to go and and not sure where who to talk to if you you don't have a how you know a family uh, resource there for you. But uh, what we try to do is have outreach um, points throughout the city, and um, there's a coordinated uh, entry process that, where you know we have the Ending Community Homelessness Coalition staff and other staff at the different agencies uh, do um, a a assessment of the client's needs and try to get them connected with services so it's almost
0: like a triaging function of exactly what are are you dealing with right now what do we what kind of help do we need to Mm -hmm. connect you with
1: but that person I mean there's just so many different situations that someone might become homeless and it's it's in a city you know you know like your own where the housing costs are so high and there's a large number of people living in poverty, the the point at which they finally actually become homeless and what that looks like is so different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would hope that they, if they're a family, they might get some support in the schools mm-hmm. with some of the homeless services that are available there. Mm-hmm. Or they might already be accessing services that are one of the health department's um Uh, community centers or something like that Mm -hmm. but for the other folks you know it's I think after um, there's a lot of word of mouth you know to kind of get connected to the right place but the the way that it, it can work is a person uh you know acts is is talked to by an outreach worker or or they encounter someone in a community service organization um that's asking them about their housing situation and they find out that they're homeless and then they do the coordinated entry process and then they get connected to housing and then all of their problems are solved <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't always work that, that way that's the flow chart version of things, right? <laughs> yeah. and if they need you know if, if they just need some help like getting back in touch with somebody in their family that might be able to help them. We would hope that there would be diversion, you know, from shelter so that we can kind of keep people from going into shelter. But if they end up in shelter, hopefully they would be able to get connected with a case manager. And and so there's just a lot of pieces. Um, but I think it takes a lot from the perspective of a homeless individual, you know, to get that connection. I think you have to be kind of persistent and sort of, you know, really stand and and speak for yourself and try to get connected that way. And kind of a well, squeaky wheel. Well, and a lot of people just don't have that cognitive ability to yeah. do that. And so just, there's a lot of places that they might encounter um, that hopefully will be able to, to put them in contact with the right resources. But
0: And, and that's really the the role of, Uh, Coordinated entry is that there may be someone who has an interaction with one service provider. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: For whatever reason, they they kind of drop out of the system for weeks, months, days, what have you, Mm -hmm. and then they show up in another service provider. They're able to access that same database, and so they don't have to go through Mm -hmm. the same process again. They're already... They have a they have a step further along, and yeah, in their that's that's
1: the goal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's it's there's different points in the community for that, and um, the you know Echo has kind of uh tried out different locations and 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 worked on what works what makes the most sense, you know, for those locations and right. and so, um, but you know there isn't enough housing, right, and that's. The problem <laughs> with a lot of this is uh, that regardless of, uh, you know, if they've done the coordinated entry and they are are there, you know, showing up as having a vulnerability level that's very high and they would benefit from permanent supportive housing, the, the you know, just availability of that is not there. There's, there's really, it's very difficult in just as a general Austinite to find a place to live that's, you know, affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for someone that has any barriers, that's super hard, Yeah, you know, so, um, there's a lot of programs and funding and that kind of stuff to kind of like bridge that gap with rapid rehousing, um, but a lot of it isn't very rapid. But we work hard, <laughs> you know, to try to 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 get those programs flexible enough to really help people out with the different different pieces that they need to solve their particular situation.
0: So, what is what is rapid rehousing?
1: So the idea is is that you um, move someone quickly and reduce the time in homelessness um, from from their the shelter or the street or wherever they are, and having them go directly into housing and using a housing first model, which is where you put someone into housing without requiring a lot of extra steps for them to get there. So you're not going to be doing drug testing and you're not going to be requiring sobriety and that kind of thing. You're just making sure they get into that housing. Right. Um, so the rapid rehousing unit has um, housing location, mm-hmm. um, financial assistance, and then case management are kind of the three three parts of that. And um, the the we use um, uh, federal money, the Emergency Solutions Grant for that. We also have a very large investment locally uh, with general fund dollars mm-hmm. uh, for our Best Single Source Plus program. Mm-hmm. Um, where people can come into different doors and basically it, whatever they need, they can get the same same program resources, uh, whether it be rapid rehousing or prevention dollars, and, and um, those are the three pieces of it. Um, but every person's situation is very different, and their needs are different, and so there's a lot of work being done um, community wide to kind of get a good sort of tool that everyone can use, so that if someone comes in the door over here to get rapid rehousing, they're getting the same level of service as if they're coming over here. Got it. Okay. Yeah. okay. And so that's kind of the next phase because there's a lot of different programs that are doing that, but right. we want to make sure that we're all we're all kind of on the same page. And one
0: provider may have have traditionally historic good relationships with the housing provider, and mm-hmm. another one maybe not. But like making sure that they're all on the same footing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned. This vulnerability kind of score mm-hmm. that happens. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about what goes into that score?
1: I don't have all of the um, pieces of it, honestly, um, but it does have to do with um, the time of the length of time being homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, diagnosed illnesses and um, chronic homeless their chronicity, mm-hmm. um, the amount of time they've been accessing resources over you know, period of time or whatever. And so there's just, there's a lot of pieces of that. And, you know, we, we were recently just talking to National Alliance to End Homelessness and Org Code. And um, Org Code is kind of the uh, agency or company that put together the, the vulnerability index that we're using. And they really emphasize that it's a triage tool. You know, it's not a, hard and fast role, you know, like someone scores this high, they cannot do anything other than permit supportive housing that, you know, in in Austin, we allow client choice and that kind of stuff. And and some people self-resolve even when they're in pretty um, acute situations. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're really trying to figure out the best way to uh, utilize that in our shelters and, and kind of prioritizing who gets shelter beds if we're going to do that right. or not and, and we're we're in a place a lot of other cities are in of trying to figure that out right. uh and it's 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 been you know uh, there's been a lot of conversations about it lately <laughs> <laughs> well it's,
0: it seems like one of the and you mentioned that there isn't enough housing mm-hmm. and you you have this broad spectrum of people who are homeless who fall somewhere along that vulnerability index. Mm-hmm. And it would seem like there's there's a challenge in prioritizing which of those subpopulations mm-hmm. is the one that needs access to that housing mm-hmm. and is the right type of housing for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if someone is particularly vulnerable, maybe dealing with you know mental health, severe mm-hmm. mental health issues, for example. Mm-hmm. They need a, a higher case management level, I would think, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. someone who, who doesn't have those challenges. Um, is there is there a particular gap that you're seeing within the Austin community on types of housing?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in general, you know, like I said that the um, the amount of rent is totally out of sync with the amount that people get if they're on disability. Okay. What's Um, a
0: typical disability check? I've
1: I've heard before it's around $800 or less and rent is usually much more than that. Okay. You know, and so the... So there's places, you know, that offer affordable housing, but the units are not necessarily readily available, or there's their market rate housing, and then there's different programs that try to, like, make them affordable, Mm -hmm. but usually there's sort of a time limit on that affordability period, and so people with disabilities really have a very hard time fitting into this market, and they have for 20-something years, I mean, ever since the rent started going up after or the 90s or so. Mm-hmm. There's really, it's just not been been very easy for people on a super fixed income yeah. um, for that. <clears throat>
0: okay. And you mentioned you mentioned that you want it to be quick. What's a typical timeline?
1: Oh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> or what, what's
0: an, what's an optimistic timeline? Well, I,
1: I think the goal for HUD is 30 days. Okay. Um, but okay. usually it's it's usually I would say. Three months, okay. two a year. Okay. there's people that have been homeless for years. yeah, um, and we're seeing um, you know that the more resources, financial resources, not a big surprise here that the more financial resources you have, the the quicker that timeline is because you can convince landlords. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, they're they've got this criminal history, or they've got these issues with their their rent. But if we pay, you know, a certain amount of the rent every month and we say that we will come back in if there's any damages later or Mm -hmm. if there's any issues, you know, ongoing, we will be there. You just call me directly, Mm -hmm. you know, not me personally, but the different agencies, staff, then it's a little bit easier to get people in. And I've heard very optimistic you know, views on being able to get people in if you just have the right formula right, for the right. landlords.
0: <laughs> yeah, as as the price point goes up from yeah. the landlord's perspective, the market opens up. And the up. security of it. Yeah. You know? yeah, um,
1: right. if, if there is a someone who is, you know, has caused damage or has uh, left the department and didn't, you know, make any any payments or whatever, then, right. you know, we're trying to come up with innovative ways to sort of deal with Kind of that um, uh, mitigation, risk mitigation for the landlord.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I know that there's a, a debate currently going on in the city about your downtown arch facility. Do mm-hmm. so I just kind of give a overview of what the issues are there and kind of yeah. what the conversation is currently?
1: Well, um, for for at least thirty years, the city of Austin has has had you know different. Um, places in the downtown area that have been uh, congregating areas Mm -hmm. for the homeless and for other folks who are doing day labor and that kind of thing and the pushback from the community when that happens a lot of time results in the city coming forward with funding to you know start providing a service Mm so you know we we've been moved around kind of but the arch was you know blocks away from where it is now and that's the arch is the awesome resource center for the homeless and um there was there was kind of a limited time period they could be at that other location and there was also problems in that area that sh- showed up when there was congregating around that and so now we've got the new location and i say new but it's from 2004 <laughs> they since they've been at that location the arch has been there you know, it just seems to be an ever increasing number of people outside of the building that, um, in a, a number of uh, you know, criminal stuff going on. We had a really hard hit by K2, and there was um, K2. K2 is a type of drug that is actually um, legal because it's a it's sold in kind of these shops. Um, that sell paraphernalia Mm -hmm. and it's supposedly synthetic marijuana but it's not it's a type of you know herbish thing that they spray chemicals on basically Mm -hmm. and you never know what kind of um, chemicals they're going to have on that Mm -hmm. and so what happens is there's different um, outbreaks of really bad mixes of the k2 Mm -hmm. and uh, last summer we had this basically an EMS event where there was all these overdoses and adverse reactions and everything. And there were so many people that were affected by it. And it was a lot of it was centered, unfortunately right outside of the arch. And so um, there's that. And then there's just, you know, the criminality and just the, the, the vision of the arch was supposed to be a day resource center where people could come in out of the street Mm -hmm. and have resources available. And And for
0: the day, this (laughs) isn't a shelter. This was a resource center.
1: Well, and a shelter.
0: Oh, and a shelter. Yeah.
1: So we put, we put the two things together and that's one of the debates right now is whether they should be there together. Mm. If it should just be a shelter and not a day resource, it just be a day resource and not a shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the congregating outside is, uh, according to the police, is, is not just, you know, the homeless there doing drugs and um, selling drugs. It's drug dealers who are housed coming down and right. selling right. to the homeless, but also to people right. in right. general, Austinites. <laughs> right. And so it's it's just become this, this hot spot, you know. And so last summer we did an initiative where, uh, the police presence was increased dramatically. There were porta potties, and there was food changes where the different agencies were only serving the people that were in staying in the shelters mm-hmm. and weren't serving it to the people that were coming down and selling drugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it was just the people that were, um, you know, staying and engaging in the services. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge decrease in activity outside of those buildings, but um, that level of APD present the police department presence and in the initiative, it just couldn't be sustained. Sure. And then it started popping up in other parts of the downtown the, the
0: negative effects yeah. started popping up. And it's yeah. just like whack a mole, you know, where
1: you're just covering it. And I mean my my perspective has always been if the the arch is the place where people need to go for for resources to you know, um, get out of homelessness and find housing. Then it should be a place that's clear of, of you know, barriers to just walk in the front door. Mm-hmm. And so, if it pops up somewhere else, then that's sort of okay. But that's not really you know what we want either. Right. Right. So, right. Um, so that we did that, and it's very, it was, it was really interesting to see how all the things came together. But what we didn't really have was resources for program changes and so now we're in a different place. We do have some financial resources for program changes for some more rapid rehousing and other things and we're um, looking at kind of doing another round. but in addition, your, your question about the arch specifically, the contract is coming up you know at the end of this year
0: the contract for <laughs> the service provider to run it exactly it okay.
1: and so it's a city building but we contract out for okay. the operations maintenance and then the, the the services provided and so that contract's coming up there's been um uh you know a require a resolution from council for us to um, do a stakeholder process and uh, look into doing competition for the building. And so that's what we're in the middle of, is the stakeholder process. And we've also engaged National Alliance in Homelessness. They have a whole emergency shelter uh, learning series mm. that's really, um, really cool. And they've been helping us with, with how, if we, you know, went through the steps that they um, have in their learning series, kind of like how we could transform that shelter building and what that would look like and <clears throat> what things we would need to, to do to change and bringing in the stakeholders to have that larger conversation.
0: What were some of their ideas? Well, um,
1: their, their focus is about making sure that the shelter itself is housing first mm-hmm. so that there aren't things at the door where people have to do you know, drug tests or whatever to even just get in the building, which we didn't have anyways. They said we're doing really good at that. So that's good. <laughs> as far as low barrier, the whole shelter was designed to be low barrier, and so we're doing that. But they also said that we need to increase diversion um, so that we will have like a you know a real focus group of people that are focused on talking to people that are coming to the door to say, what can we do to divert you from coming into the shelter? Like what other resources do you have? Let's talk about the other things that we can do here Mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, make a conscious effort in that direction Mm -hmm. Um, rather than just kind of letting people process through, you know, the building and they are looking at the, the shelter capacity and like, the, the number of feet that you should have per uh, person sleeping mm-hmm. <laughs> in the building and mm-hmm. how the, the bunks are and, and you know, just, just kind of like um, just basic things that they've come is to, to find our best pa- practices throughout right. the country. Oh, and so they're helping us with that kind of stuff and just the design you know for how to think of health and safety focus mm-hmm. um and uh you know bed bugs are always an issue <laughs> we've been talking to them about that but on a bigger scale what is the purpose of this building you know what is the goal that the city has for this building because when we open it up a lot of the focus was on getting people off the street and during the day mm-hmm. and having them come in the building and the focus wasn't as as much on making sure that every single homeless person was connected to housing resources mm-hmm. and what would it look like if we every person that came to that shelter and that stayed in a shelter bed was connected with housing resources mm-hmm. because we just don't have that happening right now. There's um, you know, just a lack of resources for staffing for the amount of people. Yeah. And so um, so that's, the, that's a lot of what they're talking to us about. And these are things that we've talked about for years, but we're really using this process as a way to get all of the ideas out there and to bring everybody in and kind of go through it. And we've had six stakeholder meetings. We've talked to the staff at the Arch We've talked to leadership in the community including our state representatives and it's really been a whole process to kind of get what do you guys want from this building because it's just one building yeah yeah out of a whole system of shelters and, and it's, just, it's the know. downtown one so it's probably and the it's most the visible. One, yeah you okay. know and next door is salvation army and so they've been there longer than the Arch has. They just have a different model over there. And so we're bringing them in and we're talking about how we can coordinate, you know, with, with the downtown service providers. Because it's also uh, other agencies that are providing meals and, yeah. and rapid rehousing and other things.
0: Is, is that, that area, does it have a, a high concentration of service providers? Or yes. Is it, oh yeah.
1: yeah, there's at least um four or five in just a two block area okay. pretty much okay. so, so
0: if you're experiencing homelessness this is the place yeah so it's not not a big surprise
1: up. that there's a lot yeah. of people congregating there <laughs> yeah, right 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 and it happens to be a block away from our um our entertainment district yeah. so 6th street with all the bars and um the all the visitors and the students coming down on the weekends it's a, literally a block away yeah so um mm-hmm that that's another piece of this is that the visibility of it sure. um and the interactions with the people that are now moving into condos downtown nearby mm-hmm. the shelters you know and their concerns and it's it's just a big mi- mix of stuff
0: yeah and it sounds like it's an area of the city in transition and
1: yeah transitions
0: we're cause just, reevaluation
1: <laughs> yeah we're just building and building and building tons of more condos and everything so
0: hmm. i wanted to also talk about kind of the integration on the within the city family who is at that table when you talk about service delivery within austin you mentioned apd
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: who else is like parks the city departments? Is, Yeah, yes parks there is transportation there
1: well it's there's been a um a new initiative um by uh city manager level um, interim city manager to get all of those departments that have interactions with homeless together to talk about it and so they're not just talking about um, you know the services that we do but also kind of the negative impacts we might have on Mm. the homeless and how we can look at our business and how we're all doing trying to do the same thing and so you know, APD's efforts, code enforcement, um, uh, Parks and Rec has a lot of interactions with homeless, libraries. Um, you know, there's just a lot of new folks that are that you know she's called to the table to bring together, to talk about that in a real honest way, mm. and there'll be a, a a presentation pretty soon to the mayor and council about about the, those those conversations mm-hmm. and, and, and what uh, has come out of that. And if there's um, new coordination, um, they, there's a desire for a new coordination of that with the funders in the city, not just the city itself, but the county and others to come together and talk about how we can sort of address this um, are locally.
0: There, are there any kind of, Lessons learned that you can share. I mean, I, would, I would imagine that it'd be without that coordination, it would be be somewhat difficult because there could be things that that are department mandates. I'm mm-hmm. thinking police department. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to crack down on on crime. For from a from a human services perspective. Yes, you're supposed to crack down on crime, Mm -hmm. and the best thing for this person is probably not for them to go to jail and get caught up on the criminal justice system over Mm -hmm. a marijuana joint.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, Or for sleeping on the sidewalk or or those kind of things. Or
0: sleeping in the park or whatever.
1: Yeah. And so locally, uh, actually since I think it was 2004, we have the community court. Um, that is hmm. is set up specifically for um, the the misdemeanors okay. um, that a lot of homeless individuals get, and it's it's supposed to kind of be a way to connect those folks to to case management and services and housing resources if needed and that kind of thing, and so that's been going on for a while. But more recently, we um, we've gotten a lot of um, positive movement with uh, a new team called the Host Team. Mm-hmm. It's a homeless outreach street team, mm-hmm. and it's our our mm-hmm. police department, integral care, which is our mental health authority, mm-hmm. um, the community court, and social service providers, and EMS. Very important <laughs> piece of that um, coming together and having teams that go out on the street to engage people and to. Maybe they're not the first conversation they're having with them is not what's your housing situation or, oh, we need to arrest you because you're on this you know the sidewalk. It's what do you need right now? And a lot of times it's health related. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's in, in the, the trust that gets built with being able to actually give somebody access to health care that has been dealing with a sore foot for a long time mm-hmm. or some other issue um, is, is really important that the mental health piece is really, um, really a great piece too, because they are able to connect people with their mental health uh, services directly on the street and also do the coordinated entry process with people that want to. Mm-hmm. And so, um, We've learned a lot from that, and it's been really positive. The one thing we've learned that's been sort of negative, though, is that there is no housing for people, you know. And so a lot of people in the street don't necessarily want to go into the shelters. And so there's, you know, there's just a lot of um, pieces that we need to kind of refocus on now that we've got this team out there. And, and, you know, can we expand the team in different areas or how, how we can work on that?
0: And why don't people want to go to shelters? I think that's a hard concept for Mm -hmm. the general public to get their heads around, that that people wouldn't want to go into shelters. They'd prefer to live out in the park. What are some of those reasons?
1: Well, I I would think, um, and of course I don't know, what I've heard from the direct service providers is that um, they see uh, the shelters as a place where there's a lot of drugs, um, or maybe it's somebody that they used to you know, be with or hang out with or whatever that they have a problem with still. Mm -hmm. Um, The amount of um, activity going on outside of the shelters right now is is you have to kind of walk a gauntlet to get in um, to the building. And so if if you know someone or you have some kind of, you know, past relationship with somebody, you're going to encounter them probably. And in addition to inside the shelters, it's very institutional and you know, that's one thing that we're looking at with um, NAH is how to make it more of a person-centered, trauma-informed place mm. so that people don't just, you know, have to show up at this time for meals and stand in this line over here to get in the front door, that we're really trying to deal with people on a more individual basis mm. um, so that it's not just a warehouse. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I understand that. And then also, I think... You know, it's just we expect a lot out of people that have mental illness and other things to be able to even stand in line, (laughs) you know, or to deal with the amount of people that are crowding an area or to deal with being in a space so close to others where they have to sleep. You know, and with all the rules and the time out, you know, the time the lights go out and that kind of stuff. And if you have a mental illness or, you know, an issue with dealing with crowds and stuff, it's really not the place to be for you if you, if you need quiet and, and serenity and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so um, I think we just expect a lot of, of people to be able to, to function on that kind of higher level. Right. And to understand, oh, well, this is for your, for your benefit that right. you're here. You're going to get all of these things if you do this, this, and this, Hmm. you know, instead of trying to bring those services to them in a more, you know, humane way.
0: And what I'm hearing you say is that portion of that population, the environment is is as much medication and treatment as anything else, and the environment of the shelter system may trigger Mm -hmm. a lot of negative reactions and emotions, um, and that they may be treating themselves by being out in the park Mm -hmm. where it's quieter and... That's access true. to nature and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's a huge, like, sense of community in encampments that can't really be replicated in a shelter, you know. And mm. what NEH was saying is there was a shelter that would make an effort to bring in a full encampment at a time, mm. sometimes, to try to keep them together because their togetherness was what was helping them survive that situation hmm. and so breaking people up and putting the men over here and the women over here and saying you can't bring your dogs or you can't bring all of your tents and your stuff it really is something where people just they're in a crisis situation and they rely on each other and to break that that social structure up you know
0: right when just, it's one of the few things that they have yeah
1: right and so i think that encampments are are, it, from what I've been hearing more um, throughout this whole process they they really are a social community that has a lot of um, benefits to people um, that they will they would give up by having to go into mm. the shelter situation mm. well, so. makes,
0: it's putting myself in their shoes it's a very logical decision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so l- let me close kind of with the question of uh, if Tasha was queen, <laughs> what, what's kind of the one, number one need that, that Austin has right now?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, I don't know. Um, you know, I've been in Austin for 20-plus years, and I have really seen the growth, and the growth has been, from my perspective, seems to be in the very high income and it just totally makes sense that we, were you know, we have more homeless people, and there's just it's harder to house people because the affordable housing is just not out there for anybody really that isn't making, you know, a significant amount of money. And so it's just it's just a struggle to to be able to live in a beautiful, amazing city like Austin um, where people want to be living. Um, it's just really hard. It's hard for the artists. It's hard for the teachers and. City workers, you know, and everybody else. And so I can't imagine already having a lot of the barriers that people have, you know, that become homeless and trying to get out from under that and and find a place here in the new sort of reality that we're living in. And so definitely more affordable housing, more requirements of the these these, you know, developments that are going into why can't they put units aside for for homeless individuals, why can't they, you know, have a more of a partnership mm-hmm. <coughs> with the the homeless service providers. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. a question that a lot of cities are dealing with. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for kind of walking me through the social service side of the equation. Thank you for listening. This podcast is part of the Homeland Project. We invite you to learn more about the project at homelandlab.com. Our work would not be possible without the support of MIG, SVR, and the Landscape Architecture Foundation's Innovation and Leadership Fellowship. To learn more about the tremendous work of LAF, please visit their website at lafoundation.org. Finally, we want to thank our friends at Yves for the use of their music. You can learn more about the band and find out about their debut album at the sound of Y V E s.com. com